Um, so here we get to this idea where no perfect people are allowed, okay? Now, I'm sitting in my kitchen this morning having a cup of coffee, um, chatting with my friend Allison. Allison and Nate are visiting from the Quad Cities, and so they stayed with us last night, and we're having some coffee, and she says something about no perfect people allowed, and I had to remind her that it's not because we're going to kick them out, right? It's not like when perfect people come in, we're going to say, no, 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 I'm sorry, you're out of here. It's because they don't exist, right? And so we're going we're gonna to deal with something as we get into this series that you just need to know about ahead of time. You are broken. That was pretty harsh. I should have started this way. I am broken, okay? I'm broken. I'm messy. I'm gross. Ask Carrie. She'll probably tell you I'm disgusting. I got issues. So do you. We're in this together. It's going to be okay, but here's what I promise you, that if we can get past the idea that church is a place where people are supposed to be perfect, then we might be able to get more accomplished. So we're going to start with this, basically this big idea. Okay. It's going to drive us through the series. The big idea basically says, Jude, I got nothing. The big idea basically says, I mean, it says something really good. It's profound. There it is. Look, it says we all need people. I, I probably could have said that without the slide, but it's more dramatic this way, right? Right? We all need people. We all crave relationships. And the reason that's true is because that's how you were wired by your creator. There's something that we need to just linger on for a second here before we get much further. Something I need you to understand. Man, I'm talking to you. Okay? Um, and I'm talking, I know that's, you're like, why are you stereotyping? Okay, here's the deal. Women inherently seem to understand that they are wired for relationships and connection. It doesn't mean they're always great at it. Some of you rock it and you got it nailed. Some of you, it's really difficult, okay? But men, the problem with men, most of the time is we feel like that's not true. Like we don't need those relationships. Like we're not hardwired for those relationships. Like they're more trouble than they're worth. And I get that, right? Because people lie. People blow things out of proportion. People will stab you in the back. People will let you down. And so we start to think, you know what? People aren't worth it. I mean, there's a select few people maybe that I'll allow in my life, but people in general just aren't worth it. The problem is that's not how you were created. And when you try to run that direction, what you're doing is you're fighting the very nature that God has put inside of you. You were created to be relational, okay? And so we need to deal with that a little bit today, and, and we need to maybe break our picture of what we think manhood is all about. We have a cultural picture of manhood, right? If I say, think of the cultural ideal for manhood, who's the first face you see? You go ahead, raise your hand. It's okay. Who's got John Wayne? Come on, admit it. Oh man, who'd you have? Your father. Okay, well that's a better answer than John Wayne. <laughs> All right, well I had John Wayne, right? But we got somebody who's strong and silent and quiet and they're off by themselves and they do their own thing and, and so we think this idea... Um, of, of made for connection and made for relationship is wrong. But the idea is basically this, um, that biblically, and by the way, God gets to define what manhood is because, well, he made you, okay? 
that biblical manhood is relational, it's influential, okay? It's necessary. So men, I'm talking to you here, okay? I mean, ladies, you can listen in, but men, I'm talking to you here. Hear me. Your wives, your daughters that are old enough, your they need to be in small group. They're hardwired for relationships. So your wives need to go to mops, or they need to get plugged into a small group, or maybe both, right? You need to lead by example. You need to get plugged in to a small group. With them, separate from them, doesn't matter. But listen, this is necessary for our Christian faith. And we're going to see that as we look at Scripture. We're going to see how necessary this is, okay? Take me to Acts 2, please. Here we go. So we're going to get into Scripture here, and we're going to break this down, and we're going to start working through this, and, and we'll see as we go, okay? Am I working now? Hey, I'm working now. Okay, we're going to see as we go that the early church used small groups as a way to facilitate growth, okay? This is really just the main point that we're trying to do today is that small groups is not a new idea. Some of you have asked me that question. You're like, Matt, why small groups? Why are small groups so critical? Okay, why not this way or why not that way or why not doing it this way? And I'm going to tell you this and I need you to hear me now. Okay, and then I'm going to need you to really drill down on what we talk about today because you're not necessarily going to buy this from me. But when we come to spiritual growth, there is one biblical thing we can point to and it is small groups of people. I don't care what you call them. You can call them house churches. You can call them small groups. You can call them growth groups. You can call them Bible groups. You can call them Sunday school classes. I don't care. But there is one way, scripturally speaking, that people grow up in faith. Here's a hint. It has to do with being with other people, okay? And so let's get into this today. We're going to see it in Acts 2, 42 through 47. First things first, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, first thing you should want to know when we look at that is who are they? Who are they that have devoted themselves uh, to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And they are, if we go back, just one verse, verse 41, here's who they are. They are those who believed what Peter said, and were baptized, and were added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So we've got a picture that what happens is there is a day. It's the day of Pentecost, by the way. So there's this day, okay, where the Holy Spirit comes and empowers. There's about a hundred or so believers. They're locked together in the upper room. They're huddled together. Jesus said, wait here because something awesome is going to happen. Just chill here. Wait for it. It's coming. We know that day is the day of Pentecost. That's the day the church was born, okay? Um, Easter Sunday is awesome, Okay? It's not the day the church was born. Okay? Pentecost is that day when God then sends the Holy Spirit, the promised helper, to the hundred believers that are, or so that are locked in that room, and they're empowered with the Holy Spirit. By the way, the book of Acts, a couple of your small groups that you can get plugged into are all about the book of Acts. Okay? There's a women's group um, that's all about the book of Acts and apparently crafty things. Okay? That's why it's a women's group, okay? Then there's, there's a, a, another group that's available to men, women, couples, whatever, that's, that's uh, all about um, the book of Acts with no craftiness. 
So you decide what, what, where, how you land there. Um, but we've got a couple of things going on here, but this is important. This is critical. This is the birth of the church. Okay, and so the Holy Spirit comes and empowers these 100 or so believers, and they go out in mass, and they're on mission, and they go to the temple, and they preach, and they preach, and they preach. And you guys, you guys think I preach long. These guys preach all morning, right? You're like, man, Matt... And I agree with you. Sometimes it could be shorter, but these guys, I mean, they they bring it. But they preach and they preach and they preach. And that day, there are 3,000 of them, which is really more than that, because remember, um, biblical times here, we're counting men, okay? There's 3,000 of them that that are are added to the church. um, And what do they do? First thing they do, they go get baptized, okay? Um, it's an outward symbol of an inward reality. They accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They say, you know what? Yes, that's true. I need salvation. I'm in. And then they go get baptized as a symbol of what's happened. By the way, if you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, you've not made that commitment, okay? then what you're doing is you're seeking and you're checking things out. And I applaud that. I'm glad you're here. And if you've got questions, ask me. But if you are here this morning and you are a professing believer in the risen Christ and you are a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized, this is something for you to seriously think about here and consider and process. Because here we, we, we read this model. They believed, they were baptized, okay? And then we pick this up in verse 42 about what's happening with them. And it says, those people that have believed the church now over 3,000 people large, now those people, those new Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so here's what we get. Okay? We get this idea that these Christians knew they needed something. You have to understand that. You have to read between the lines here and see something. That these new Christians, okay, they understood that they didn't know all the answers. That they weren't perfect, and it was okay. See, some of you, when I start talking about relationships in the church, again, um, you're like, in theory, it's fine and good. But you're, you start throwing out these things. I'm too busy. Too busy. Too busy for small groups, or too busy for those kinds of things, or there's too much going on, or, or you know, yeah, I just don't really like being around people that much, and oh, you know what, though, I just, those people really bug me, and they annoy me, and I don't, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to have to maybe pray out loud in front of other people, or we start throwing out these things, and I love you, but they're excuses, and they're silly, Okay, because we won't grow unless we commit to doing some things differently. And here's what they said. These guys, they knew they needed something different. In fact, most of these 3,000, okay, were not necessarily from Jerusalem. They lived other places. But they had traveled to Jerusalem to go to the temple on the day of Pentecost. Okay, they weren't necessarily from Jerusalem. They had come to Jerusalem to worship And then they were found at the temple by the 100 believers. That's part of the reason the day of Pentecost was the day God chose, because here we have representatives from all over that have come together, and this is where we're going to start this message. Now, those people aren't going home. Get that. They've decided to stay. 
they've completely reordered and rearranged their lives because they know they need something different. They know they're incomplete. They know they're not ready. They know they're not done. They need something. And so they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Breaking of bread there is um, a twofold understanding. We're going to look at that and we're going to say that means communion. So they devoted themselves to this experience of sharing communion with other members of the church. Also, we're going to read a little bit later in this passage that it also means they just ate together. They had communal meals together. Basically, you get the point that these groups of people decided that they would spend all of their time with other like-minded people. A couple things to note there. Uh, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Some of you are reading that and going, well, that's not small groups. That's going to church. That's going to church. I sit down and the apostles teach. No, no, no. The apostles' teachings. Right? If we go back and we read original language there, we're not, they're not devoting themselves to the direct instruction of apostles. We've got over 3,000 people, we've got no microphones, and we've got 12 apostles. Right? We're not talking about, let me come sit down and, and hear what Peter has to say specifically, but you're seeing a marriage of two spiritual gifts. Okay? The creative gift of prophecy okay? and the sustaining gift of teaching. Okay? And so what you have is you have teachers who are teaching believers, new Christians, they are interacting with these new Christians, the apostles' teachings. Remember, they don't have a Bible to look at at this point in time. They can't pull this out and they can't flip to Romans and see what the Bible has to say about sin and grace and how we get made right with God. They can't see that, but what they can do is they can have the teachings that come from Jesus. And the apostles will teach those things. And other people will, will take that prophecy and they'll, and they'll distribute it freely. It's what Paul does as he goes through towns. He establishes churches. He trains up leaders that will teach the people afterwards what it is that God has said and laid on their heart and how they should respond and how they should work. This is small groups to perfection. So people come together and they fellowship together. And by the way, fellowship there, in case you're curious, okay, Matt, what does fellowship really look like? You say you need to be part of a small group so we can fellowship together. What does that really look like? Well, I don't know. Perhaps it looks like the breaking of bread and prayer. That's right. Small groups have snacks. It's biblical. I'm just saying. Okay? And prayer. And prayer doesn't necessarily mean that we spend an hour and a half just praying and doing nothing else together, but it means that we lift one another up, we encourage one another, we share life with one another. This is one of the things that you just need to understand here, is that in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, in the New Testament, the early church, small groups changed lives. If you've ever wondered how the church went from being a handful of individuals a handful of committed individuals to being a movement that would change the world, that would somehow get to you and I and bring us salvific understanding and grace. Well, it happened because of small groups. That's how it happens. It happens because of people that are committed to growing in Christ together. Some of you, listen to me, Some of you have sat in my office or we've talked on the phone or we've shared emails or whatever it is, but, but there are some of you here that are so confused about this. 
You're like, Matt, I just don't feel it. Like, Pastor, I know what you're saying, but I just don't get it. It doesn't work for me. I mean, think about that. Some of you might have to say, you know what, I've said those words. Uh, I, I've, I've thought those words. I've emailed those words. It doesn't work for me. I'm not getting out of it what I think I should get out of it. I'm not growing the way that you say I should be growing. I'm not moving the way I'm supposed to move. Why doesn't it work for me? And I'm going to tell you one of the reasons why maybe it doesn't work for you is because you're not doing it. It's not overly complicated, but it's not always convenient either. Sometimes we have to, we have to do it. Right? This, is, this is pretty straightforward stuff. They got together. Look, look. they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They made it a priority. Okay, we continue okay, in 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Okay? Now, we're not really going to dig into that very much. Uh, okay, there's something I just need you to know about this. Here, here's the one thing that you need to understand is that when you read between the lines there, you see that God honored what they were doing. When you read through the book of Acts, you're going to read about all kinds of signs and wonders, miracles, things that shouldn't happen that do happen, right? We get those when we read the Gospels because it's Jesus. And when Jesus turns water into wine, right, we're like, hey, that's cool, but that's Jesus. When Jesus heals a dead man, Okay, we're like, yeah, that's cool, but that's Jesus. And so we get this idea that, yeah, Jesus does miracles, and that's fun. But then when we get to the book of Acts, we start to read this other stuff about other people performing miracles. Okay, but here's what I need you to understand about those. We're just going to touch on this real briefly, um, that those are ways that God puts his stamp of approval on what's happening. When you read through the book of Acts, and a couple of you will get to this, I I think one of the groups very specifically is taking a look at how the Holy Spirit worked um, throughout that time, but... When you read through the book of Acts, you're going to notice that never, ever do you see miraculous signs and wonders in a way that's not connected with someone living out and proclaiming the gospel. Every time you see a miracle happen in scripture, every time there's someone healed or someone raised or somebody sick that's, that's brought to life, and anytime any of that happens, it's God putting a stamp of approval on what happens when the gospel is shared. Okay? Uh, I mean, it's so much that, that, that Peter raises Tabitha from the dead. Okay? And when Peter walks through the town, people bring the sick out just so that his shadow can pass over them. It's always God affirming what's happening. So everyone is filled with the awe and wonders at the signs that were performed by the apostles during this time. God is suggesting through his movement, he, he's putting his stamp of approval on what's happening with the church, the way they're growing together, the way they're committed to one another, the way they're sharing with one another, everything that they're doing, okay? God's saying it's good. And we continue. All of the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Okay, now you got to, this is all one flow, right? We started with the idea that they were together Um, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, okay? Step two, because they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is all about Jesus Christ, all about their lives, all about what Jesus wants from their lives, all about how they're supposed to act in this new kingdom that they're a part of as children of God that have been made new, that have new hearts, that have new focus, how they're supposed to be, 
Okay? God's honoring that, and he's showing that, yes, this is right with signs and wonders and miracles and things that make people stand back and on and say, yes, God is working here. We need to keep going. We need more and more and more. And as a result of the teaching and a result of God honoring the teaching, their lives are being changed, their hearts are being changed. And what's one of the most noticeable things that happens? Look at this. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone that was in need. You know, this is something that the elders understand. We talk about this sometimes. Oh, man, I know we hate when we talk money. It's okay. I I promise it'll be over quick. When it comes to giving in the church, and many of you are faithful, generous givers. When it comes to giving in the church, though, we know and we understand and we talk about that there are trends. Okay? And that church growth, I, I feel like I should qualify this. Look, I don't know who gives what. I don't want to know who gives what. I know what Carrie gives because our names are on the checks together. That's it. Okay, so you give, I, I have no idea. I don't need to know that. I don't want to know that. But here's the thing. Okay, what we know for sure is that giving always lags behind growth. So people come to church People get committed to a church. People become members of a church. They start attending regularly. They decide, this is where I want to be. They start ministering in and through the church. Giving is almost always 12 to 18 months behind that because it's one of the last things to go. It's one of the last things we surrender. It just is what it is. It's hard. It's a hard surrender. It's one of the last things almost always. So when we see growth in the church, we can't say, oh, hey, look, there's more people coming. We should spend more money. No, we're smarter than that because we know church trends. And giving always lags behind. Okay? But here's why that's important. What are we reading about them? Their lives are so impacted. They're changing so quickly. God has got a hold of them through this small group process where they're, being, um, they're dedicating themselves to what God has to say, what's the teaching. They're growing. They're sharing life with one another. And all of a the sudden, they've skipped all these steps, and they're just giving themselves freely, completely. They're sharing everything they have. And some of you look at that, and that makes you really mad. I mean, some of you, like, it's visceral almost. You're like, well... That's not biblical. It's from the Bible. You're like, yeah, but that's like communist, socialism. No, I mean, nobody took it from them. That's communism and socialism is I'm going to take what you have and I'm going to put it where I feel like it should be. No, 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 no. The believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to freely give to anyone who had need. Let me tell you what this was like. This was like, we've talked about this before. This is like, I have a car that I don't drive. You're walking to work every day or you can't get to work because you don't have a car. Okay? This is me saying, yeah, that car's awesome. I don't need it. You do. Here are the keys. It's yours. Okay? Or better yet, um, there are people that have needs. I have things I'm not using. I'll sell them, not so that I can get more stuff I don't need, but so I can share freely with people that are in need. And this is how God worked. Listen to me. This is one of the most critical things for small group. This is one of the most critical ways to grow in small group, is sharing the struggles of life with each other. I can tell you that, that our small group, the one that we are currently in, okay, that there are situations and there are scenarios where people are quick to reach out that says, you know what, guys, I need. Sometimes maybe it's I, I need tangible, physical things. 
Sometimes perhaps it's, I need emotional, I need prayer, I need support. But one of the best ways for people to grow in faith, one of the best ways for you to grow in Christ is for you to find people that you can support and to find people that can support you. It's one of the, it's one of the easiest things for you to do. I'll give you a Troy Fincherism. Troy Fincher used to tell me this all the time. Troy Fincher was a guy that, uh, um, I, I, you know, I, I give so much credit to my own spiritual life for because Troy is a guy that said, you know what, Hans, we're going to meet and we're going to be relational. And he used the word relational. I mean, he actually said, we're going to be relational. And I said, I don't want to. Troy, you crotchety old man. I don't feel, Troy used to, I mean, he was a kisser too. <laughs> I mean, that dude, like, he'd walk up to me in church, he'd kiss me on the lips. Like, okay. But Troy, back when I thought it was cool to drop Aubrey off for Sunday, and tra- actually it was Travis at the time, drop Travis and Riley off for Sunday school and, and go hang out at Panera and get a cup of coffee and then come back for church, um, Troy decided that wasn't acceptable and he and I needed to get relational. I was a little concerned about what that meant, but especially after the kissing. But we sat down. We sat down and we shared life. And Troy cared about me. And when I had problems, he prayed for those. And when I had concerns, he shouldered them with me. And you know what? As the relationship grew, when he had problems, I, I shouldered those with him. And we prayed together. But listen, he would always tell me, he's like, look, Matt, no, nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. One of the best ways for you to grow in your faith is to be around like minded people that you are willing to tell the truth to. You're like, Matt, I can't tell the truth because I am jacked up. Yeah, so are they. But I'm selfish and I'm icky. Yeah, so are they. None of us are perfect. There are no perfect people allowed here. That was the way it was in the early church. None of those people were perfect. Is what it is. We continue. Last two verses in this chunk. It says, every day they continue to meet together. This is a summative statement, by the way. This wraps it all up. Every day they committed, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. You know, right now these guys still think of themselves as Jewish, right? Um, They believe that they are the, and, and correctly, they believe correctly that they are the natural evolution Okay, can I say evolution and be okay here in church? Yeah, I can, it's okay. They're the natural evolution of what God had been promising all throughout the Old Testament. Jesus, the Messiah, salvation is here. And so they still are going to the temple courts. They still are doing all of the Jewish things that they had done before, but they have a different meaning and a different context. And they're celebrating now. Not that we're longing in anticipation, but that it's happened. And they meet together in the temple courts and they share. But get this, it's not just at church. They're not just going to the temple to do these things. Also, they're meeting together in the community. They're meeting together in homes. They're sharing meals together. They've got glad and sincere hearts. All of this. Look at me and tell me that you're too busy to be in a small group. It's hyperbole. You don't need to actually look at me and say that right now. But many of you have. I'm too busy to be in small group. I'm too busy to stay for Sunday school. I'm too busy to show up to to church every Sunday, right? I mean, come on. It's too much. Look at this. Every day. 
And not just like every day they picked one of these things. Every day when they weren't at work, by the way, these guys worked, okay? They worked. They set up shop. They, I mean, it's not like they just quit their job so they could hang out with other Christians all day long. No, 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 no. But every day, though, they still found time before work to worship together at the temple. They feel, still found time to get together for meals, dinners, and Bible studies, or discussions about what Jesus said and why it was important and what it meant for their life. They, they devoted themselves to this, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Here's the deal. Listen, the time, effort, and sacrifice, the relational energy, it wasn't given begrudgingly. This is another thing that some of you have got to figure out. When you say to me, Matt, why isn't it working for me? Why aren't I growing in my faith? Why, do, why does it sometimes still seem like it's iffy? Why do I sometimes still question what's all this about? And like, here's the deal. Sometimes it's because you just need to commit. With the right attitude, with the right heart, not begrudgingly, not half-heartedly, but you need to do it the way they did. Look, they, what's, it, what's the word tell us? Went the wrong way. There it is. With glad and sincere hearts. This is the challenge for some of you. Some of you, the challenge is you need to commit to signing up for a small group. You need to get over yourselves. Okay? You need to figure out what your excuse is, and you need to figure out, and you need to sign up, and you need to get plugged into a small group. For some of you, the issue isn't signing up for a small group, but it's changing your heart attitude a little bit. But these guys, these guys got plugged in with glad and sincere hearts. And because they got plugged in with glad and sincere hearts, because they loved one another more than they loved themselves, because they gave freely of their possessions so that those that were in need, by the way, those that were in need most likely were in need because of sanctions by the rest of the community. You understand that? They're, they're not in need because they're lazy. They're not in need because they refuse to work. They're in need because they came from far away and they stayed to grow up in their Christian faith. And so it's been hard for them to get work and to get settled, okay, to establish themselves here in this place. Many of them, though, would have had businesses and would have had place. And as soon as they stopped being solely Jewish, they would have faced, they would have faced economic pressures and sanctions and people that refused to use their goods or use their services because, well, they're, they're not Jewish anymore. Okay? And so they gave freely to meet those needs, right? They, they helped each other. And when people saw that, they flocked to it. And God grew them up spiritually. But on top of that, he also added to their numbers daily the people that were being saved. They enjoyed the favor of the people, even people that weren't Christians. Why? Well, here. Because life is terrible. Right? I mean, this is hard. I think back just to the last week. I think of my small group of people alone. My small group of people alone just in the last week. And in my small group of people alone, in just the last week, we had an older brother who had no business dying die. By the way, I'd ask you to continue to pray for Malia and her family for that. You know, that, that initial um, thing is over, but there's no way that's over. 
And in my small group, we had, we had Jill and Joe with their, their best friends that they grew up with, that they, that they shared life with, um, a young mother of two, wife, die of cancer. You can be praying for them too, because I know it breaks their heart still. And I have no idea what Ben, Ben is his name, what Ben is supposed to do without his soulmate and, and partner and now parenting two children, young children on his own. My father just had surgery who um, it went as well as it could have. But I'm thinking about those three things in the last week alone. Listen to me. This is jacked up. This is wrong, right? I mean, the world is not right, okay? We're all broken, but yet God says, look, good things can happen when you come alongside one another, when you love each other, when you spend time together. And I use that word love, and I know some of you, it scares the, you're like, I don't want it. It's okay. It's, it's a good, nobody's going to kiss you on the lips. I probably shouldn't promise that. <laughs> Can we just make a gentleman's agreement? <laughs> Listen to me. Life is messy. There, there, there's nobody that can argue that. We've talked about this so many times. Life is messy, right? But we do not need to do it by ourselves. We just don't need to. Okay, and so this is the deal. The time, effort, energy, it was given with glad and sincere hearts because they wanted something else and people saw it and they were attracted to it and then they wanted something else and God grew the church numerically, spiritually, all of that just through this small group relational endeavor. It's important. It's critical. Listen to me, okay? I need you to seriously consider how you get plugged in to grow. Okay, there are plenty of opportunities for you to grow, but some of you have been sitting here for years. I don't care for where I look because I'm not thinking of anybody. I'm like, some of you have been sitting here for years, but you haven't grown. It's time to, it's time to get plugged in. And you got issues. I know you got issues. You got things that are bothering you. You got things that are driving you crazy. Look, here's the deal. We're going to deal with these objections over the next four weeks as we tackle this series. Uh, I'm going to deal with some of your most common objections, okay? Uh, everything from, from I'm too broken to people drive me crazy to I'm too busy. But today we deal with this one, I'm broken. Nobody ever says to me, Matt, I'm broken. They might say it privately, but they don't say it about small groups. They never say, I can't go to small groups because I'm too messed up, Okay? So I'm not suggesting that you've ever said, Matt, I can't go to small groups because I'm too messed up, but I've heard you. You've said things like, Matt, I can't go to small groups because, oh, you know, it's just so hard and, and, and you know, people always want to talk about their feelings and, you know, everybody wants to, to pray together and it's, oh, it just, you know, it feels weird. You know what? That's code for I'm afraid that I'm too messed up. You are. It's cool. So am I. We all are. As soon as we can get over ourselves, well, there's some good things that can happen. Let me share with you. Some of you have seen this. Um, Bethany, Bethany shared this. It was part of our newsletter. If you don't get our newsletter, I just need your email address. We'll get you added. But she shared part of this. So we're going to go over this just 
a little bit. Here's what she said in her own stories. This is kind of like a testimony that's been written for us here to look at. It says here, we're all a hot mess, broken, flawed, or whatever label you're comfortable putting on it. And the church is not a place for people to pretend to be perfect. Although that does happen sometimes. But it's a place to take off the masks, capes, pretenses, a place to realize that our worth doesn't come from being or acting perfect, but the condition of our hearts. So that's just a true statement. And then here you get part of her testimony that says, I spent a lot of time with my heart in the wrong place, seeking validation and worth in the wrong places, thinking that churches were full of people who were pretenders, told myself it was okay to say I love God, but not have my life show it. I mean, going to church on Sunday didn't make me Christian any more than being in a garage made me a car. But, well, we'll get there. Besides, this religion thing was just a list of unattabled chess lists that I would never live up to. It was exhausting and I was done. I've heard some of you tell me things like that. You've never said, Matt, I'm too messy. But you've said things like that. You know what? I don't have to be at church to be a Christian. Yeah, maybe not. Helps. Right? I don't need to be around other Christians to grow. Eh, certainly doesn't hurt. Right? I don't need... I don't need to follow God in every single thing that I do. You're reading a different book than I am. But here, here's what happens, right? We get to this point, though, where we say, it's not working for me. And how many of you have been there? See, a lot of people walk away from church. And it's not because they have a bad feeling about church. You know why they walk away from church? Because they just don't see it as all that important. It's not that church is bad. Church is fine. Church is something that good people do. We go to church. It's great. That's what we're supposed to do. But I don't really think church is critical for me because I've never really been able to get dug in. I've never really been able to grow. I've never really been able to make it real. And it's exhausting and I'm tired and sometimes we just quit. But really the key is we quit because we think that we're broken and we think that we have to pretend to be something we're not. And here's the deal. I don't need you to pretend to be anything you're not. I don't care what your biggest secret is. I know you've got one. I don't care what your huge sin that you struggle with is. I know you've got it. We're all broken. We all need to move forward. See, this is the, this is the truth of Romans. He says this righteousness, that salvation, he's talking about the gift of Christ. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are all, justif and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So everybody is justified that chooses to follow Christ is justified by God. Listen, when he says, look, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, Okay, you can plug anything in there. Rich, poor, black, white, young, old, employed, unemployed, your mess, my mess. There's no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all in the same boat. This is what Paul's telling us, okay? We continue. He says, but Matt, I've got trouble. You don't know how much trouble I've got. You know what? Get over yourself. Get over yourself. Look at this. Jesus says this. I've told you these things so that you may have peace because in this world you will have trouble. You don't corner the market 
on being jacked up. You don't. We're all broken. We've all got issues, right? And small group is where we start to sort through those. Look at this. This is Bethany's story continues. Remember, she's exhausted. She's broken. Church has nothing for her. And here's what she says. I did that for years until God got a hold of my heart by using people who loved me despite my flaws. Listen to me. You think you're too messed up? You think you're too broken? Find a group where people will love you despite your flaws. People that showed me who God's love by being real and allowing me to be real. People who loved me unconditionally like God loves us. Look, this is the deal here. Okay, this is what we have to understand. All of us need to move. You could have been in this church. This, this, this church is about 11 and a half years old. You could have been here for 11 and a half years. You could be going to church your entire life. This could be your first Sunday. None of you get to stay put. God always wants movement. Your excuses are just that. I, again, I love you, but they're just excuses. It's time to get past them. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. Okay, here's what I'm going to ask you to do as we get ready to close our service today. We're going to do a couple things. One is in a minute. Uh, I'm going to ask the ushers to prepare. We're going to collect this morning's offering. On top of collecting the offering, I'm going to ask you to take a few minutes. We'll show a little video, um, just a song, just something that you can see that while we reflect that will just be reminding you of who you are, that you are not the mess, that you are not your mistake, that you are bigger than that, that God has redeemed you and that God has called you something else. You can be just kind of reflecting on that song and that video as we reflect and prepare. And I'm going to ask us um, to not just um, be participating in the offering, but also to be thinking about your small group decision. Be thinking about whether or not you'd like to be in a small group. And you'll see on your tear-off card at the bottom there, there's just a little note that says, sign me up for this group. And if there's a group that you want to be a part of, if you're ready to do that, you can do it now. Throw it in the offering plate and we'll get you signed up. Your small group leader will be getting in touch with you and everything will be good to go. But this is a time for us to spend a minute in prayer and reflection and respond to that if you feel like God's leading you to. Would you pray with me as we close this morning? Heavenly Father, God, you are good. You are gracious. You have given us, um, honestly, you've just given us clear instructions. It's not hard to understand. But God, in this world, it's hard to pull off. There are so many things that compete for time, effort, resources, energy. It's, it's hard. But you are good and gracious, and you've given us people around us that love and care about us and that want to come alongside of us and that we can come alongside of God. You've given us a plan for this. So help us to submit to that, help us to get connected, and help us to grow together. God, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. Amen.